From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. More than 130,000 vehicles cross the I-5 bridge every day. It provides a critical connection between Oregon and Washington over the Columbia River and supports local jobs and families. The interstate bridge is also a vital trade route for freight, important to regional, national, and international economies. But the bridge is aging. One span is over 100 years old. And anyone who's driven across it knows it can be gridlock, often is. It's also at risk of collapse in the event of a major earthquake. In this episode of Straight Talk, we look into the plan to replace the bridge, known as the Interstate Bridge Replacement Project, or IBR. We'll get a status report on plans for design and a timeline for construction. And we're putting special focus on the effort to ensure equity. Why is it important? and how does it fit in with the project's plan for multimodal transportation. We're joined by Program Administrator Greg Johnson and Design Manager Shilpa Malam. Johnson jointly represents both the Oregon and Washington Departments of Transportation. He has more than 20 years experience as a senior executive in the transportation industry. He's worked on major infrastructure projects in Maryland and Michigan, including the Gordie Howe International Bridge Project crossing the Detroit River between the U.S. and Canada. Shilpa Malam is the design manager for the Interstate Bridge Project. She has a background in transportation engineering and has worked on multiple infrastructure projects across the country. She grew up in India and moved to the U.S. to get her master's in civil engineering at the University of Delaware. Welcome to my guests, Shilpa Malam and Greg Johnson. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we talk about equity, which is what we're going to focus on today, let's get a status report, Greg, on where you are in planning and the time frame for construction. So, Laurel, it's an exciting time for the program. We have hit several major milestones. With this past summer, the Oregon legislature and the governor signing a bill that dedicated a billion dollars to this program. The state of Washington did that back in their 2022 legislative session, and they also have given us the ability to toll the interstate bridge to, to make up that delta of funds needed to build projects of this size. So we have all of the local funding needed. We are now in the process of going after federal funds, so we have submitted um, a mega grant, which was part of the IIJA um, Biden administration infrastructure funding and come um, the end of November we will be submitting for the big bridge grant so those two will total um, close to two billion dollars of what about five or six billion dollars out, out of about six billion six, that okay. we need and we will also be going after one more federal grant as a capital improvement grant from the Federal Transit Administration so if all that happens, when do you think construction would start? We are looking at starting construction in 2025, late in 2025. And we have some what we call early work contracts to relocate um, utilities, build some retaining walls that are necessary for shifting traffic. And the big bridge itself will start in 2026. 
And, and Shilba, where will this bridge be in comparison to where the current bridge is? That's a really good question. So the new bridge is going to be just west of the existing bridge, about 100 feet west of the existing bridge. And that is because it's going to take a few years to build the new bridge. It's a big bridge and we have to keep traffic moving on I-5. So we'll be using the existing bridges to move traffic until the new bridge is built and traffic can be moved over. And do you anticipate that congestion is going to be any worse or traffic any worse during the construction of the, the new bridge? So we are committed to keeping, today we have three lanes going northbound and three lanes going southbound on the bridge. And so we are committing, uh, committed to provide three lanes in each direction during construction, especially during the peak hours. So if there are any closures that, we need, that need to happen when we have to tie back in, we're looking at maybe nighttime or weekend. But during peak hours, we want to be able to provide all six lanes for traffic going north and south of the bridge. And as design manager, where are you in narrowing down the designs for this bridge? Right. So right now we are in the environmental process. The, uh, the project is in the environmental process, which is the documentation we need to do in order to be eligible for all the federal, federal funds. And uh, at the beginning of next year, we're looking at the draft document, the draft uh, supplemental, because we had a previous study, draft supplemental environmental impact statement is what the document's called. That'll have all the information on the impacts of what we're studying. We're not building anything yet, but it's planning stage we're studying. And as part of that, for the bridge itself, we're looking at three options. The first is a double deck option, uh, which was uh, similar to what was studied in the previous planning study. And that has uh, automotive traffic on the top level. And on along northbound in the second level, we are providing facilities for active transportation, that is anybody who wants to walk or anybody who wants to bike or roll uh, across uh, the bridge. And on the, along the southbound side is providing facilities for light rail transit. So that's the first option. The second option is a single level bridge. And just as the name suggests, having all modes of transportation on a single level. And the third option is a movable span, which is a lift bridge similar to what we have today, where the bridge will lift when there are big ships uh, or boats that have to sail in. And uh, I think we, should, we have some visualizations on uh, the website right now that we might be looking at. Those are possibilities of what the bridge could look like. We're not there yet from a design standpoint, but those are conversations that we will be having as we um, get closer into the design phase. Well, let me jump in and ask Greg, you talked about a movable bridge or a draw bridge like we have now, which is what causes a lot of backups when people are trying to get somewhere, unexpected backups, and it's the only traffic light on the interstate bridge system on I-5. Why in the world would we be thinking about another draw bridge? So we have uh, federal partners, and one of our federal partners is the United States Coast Guard, and they are responsible for navigable waterways in the United States is as one of their duties. So they wanna make sure that we have addressed any needs, both present and future for um, ships or loads that go on the Columbia River that are higher than the 116 feet we propose. So we are, we are working with them but we're also having a second track where we are working with the impacted users that have demonstrated a need for more than 116 feet to work with them, to understand their needs and put forth solutions and negotiate with them to 
keep that bridge at 116 feet as a thick span rather than a movable span bridge. So hoping not to, to have a drawbridge. Yes. Let, let's talk about equity, and it comes in a, a lot of different forms. You're looking at a lot of different aspects. You're looking at talking to neighborhoods and, and considering low-income and communities of color neighborhoods. You're looking at equity when it comes to forms of transportation, equity when it comes to safety and addressing climate change, equity in contracts and employment. Let's start with the neighborhoods, Greg. Why is it important to look at equity when you're considering neighborhoods? So, Lori, you have to, to look to the history of, of the interstate system and how it was planned and built in the United States. And back then, it, it was not always equitable. Sometimes um, the community of least resistance was chosen to fight uh, the interstate. And we want to make sure that we are doing no further harm to these communities. So by having a robust outreach program, by getting them involved and making sure their voices are being heard and reflected in everything we do, our design, our processes, we feel that we can have more equitable outcomes. So it is, a, it is one of the pillars of our program is making sure that we have equitable processes and outreach to those communities. And you and I have talked about this before. You have personal experience with the inequity sometimes of, of building infrastructure. Yes, when, when I was four years old and uh, living northeast of, De of Detroit in Michigan, um, the predecessor to the Michigan Department of Transportation um, bought my parents' home and we had to move. And so when I was four years old, I thought it was a lot of fun um, staying with uncles and aunts and grandparents. But it, it was very disruptive and my father, he would, he would tell me of his angst about that um, constantly as I was growing up. And, I, and eventually when I started working for the DOT, he, he wanted to make sure that when I interacted with folks that I did not treat them as he was treated. So I've made that one of my core principles to make sure that we are doing the right thing by folks, by reaching out to them, having their voice heard and reflected in our, in our processes and decision making and making sure they're treated fairly. I'm sure he'd be proud of you. Shilpa, how are you trying to listen to communities? So uh, it is, um, we have a few uh, different avenues that we are looking at right now. Uh, one is a program is it's a high it, it's it's part of highway it's part of I five but it's in a community it's not in isolation. So it is uh, meeting people where they are. We we going to neighborhood meetings asking them when their next meeting is how we can be part of the agenda so we can communicate what the program is planning on and getting feedback from them. Uh, we also stopped a bunch of. Um, fairs and festivals over the summer that we had, trying to go to as many as we could and stuff and talk about the project over there, giving them information. We have flyers that we hand out there. We also have the website where we have all the information, but also all our meetings are posted on the website and all of our uh, advisory group meetings are open to the public. They're invited to the meetings. Uh, they can log in. There's also a way they can uh, provide public testimony during those meetings. Um, and. Uh, one thing that we started recently, and um, which is a great opportunity, is we started looking at office hours. We're providing office hours. They're posted on our website. And what that means is 
uh, somebody can go to the website and pick a time that they can come and talk to us, the staff in the program. If it's a particular topic, we'll try to make sure that those people are there in order to provide the information. They can come into the office, uh, meet us in person, or they can pick a virtual option, and they, pick an, they can pick a time that works for them. So we're trying to be flexible that way too. So very excited about that and encourage people to uh, reach out to us so we can get the feedback, but also provide information and be transparent. About and what and the website doing. is interstatebridge.org. And if you'd like to ask questions, they have real people, live people answering your questions at info at interstatebridge.org. Let me ask you, I know when you're talking about equity, Shilpa, when it comes to multimodal transportation, all forms of transportation, explain that for us. So uh, similar to what Greg mentioned earlier, traditionally the interstate systems that were built for cars, basically automo automobiles. And it, people being able to use the facility was dependent on their affordability and ability to drive a car. Uh, here we're talking about communities and neighborhoods where that might not be the case all the time. So uh, we are trying to make sure when we say it's a multimodal pro project that people have the choice, no matter which choice they pick, with, if they want to walk, bike, or take transit, they should have that option of taking any of those and get to their destination safely. The safety is paramount. Um, so we're looking at, uh, like mentioned earlier, all the bridge options and all five miles of the program to we're looking at uh, active transportation, sidewalks, shared use paths, people who want to walk uh, across neighborhoods, across I-5 or across the bridge are able to do so, but also light rail, extending light rail from Oregon to Washington. And is light rail a done deal? Because that was so controversial during the Columbia River crossing. People in southwest Washington didn't want it, Greg. So it, it was, and we have, we've done a lot of outreach and listening to, to folks. Uh, the partners, the eight partners, along with the two DOTs, all agree that light rail is our best option to move the most people most effectively going into the future. So at this point, light rail is what we are designing towards. So we will hear more during this um, draft supplemental environmental impact statement process from, from folks who have varied opinions. But one of the, one of the biggest demographics that we've heard from who, who actually love the idea of light rail are young people. And they're the ones who are going to have to live with this, with this uh, bridge and the, um, all of the different parts of it for a long time. So we have been uh, making sure we're focusing on listening to everyone and making sure that their voices are reflected in what we build. Shilpa mentioned safety when she was talking about multimodal forms of transportation. How safe do you consider the bridge right now? So the bridge is safe and the um, Oregon DOT actually um, oversees the operations of the bridge um, in conjunction with the agreement from uh, Washington. But they take great care of it. It's 106 years old. And we, um, we've given a number of tours and, and folks see the age of it. But unless we get that catastrophic event, the, the bridges can stand, but it is what we call functionally obsolete. The lanes are narrow. It doesn't have shoulders. We had an incident the two Mondays ago where there was an accident just south of the bridge. And we had backups in uh, the city of Vancouver's downtown until 11 a.m. 
So five hours later, traffic was still sorting its way out. So, so it's, it's safe in that, no, it's not gonna fall down, but it also has some, some things about it that we can modernize and make much better. What about walking across it? I mean, you've walked across <laughs> it a bunch of times, I understand. What happened to you? So I've walked across the bridge um, now 41 times, and the, the most memorable time, I was actually on a, one of our advisory group calls as I was walking, and I was walking facing traffic, and a truck kicked up a stone it wasn't going at a high speed, but it hit me square in the wow. middle of the forehead. So you need a helmet when you walk across <laughs> the bridge right now. It's an unpleasant um, walk. It's it's loud. It's very narrow, and when you have opposing traffic like a bike coming, you have to skinny up towards traffic, and you're right next to um, trucks that are going. 40, 45 miles and Shilpa, I know you've really tried to put yourself in the shoes of users as you talk about multimodal transportation, haven't you? Yeah, yes, uh, absolutely. And we have to think that way and we have different people on the project, but it's also trying to understand how people are, where they're living, what their facilities are. And we all have our lived experiences. Like suppose the way I was coming at it too is when I first came to the United States, I um, I didn't know how to drive. I never had to learn how to drive until then because I, w I was dependent on transit and transit was always available where I grew up in India. So coming here and uh, that changing where it was not as readily available made me realize how much like my sense of independence was related to me transportation options in there. And I, and again, understanding that is like my, my experience over there. What are the experiences of people uh, uh, experiencing like if who's who's walking across the bridge today only maybe the brave can walk across the bridge but how about if like a mom wants to take a stroller across it or like somebody who's in a wheelchair wants to go across it we need to look at all ages and abilities and make sure that they have the options to get to where they want to Shilpa and Greg we need to take a break right now there's so much more to talk about I want to talk about how you're addressing climate change and also ask you about tolls we'll be back in two minutes Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about the plan to replace the I-5 bridge over the Columbia River between Oregon and Washington. Welcome once again to my guest, Program Administrator Greg Johnson and Design Manager Shilpa Malam. Once again, welcome to the show. Thank you. We talked about so many things when it came to equity, but we didn't get to, to climate change. And Shilpa, a lot of people are really concerned about how this project will address climate change. They feel like it may be running counter to the region's climate goals, that it is not doing enough to reduce carbon emissions, maybe actually adding to it. How do you address their concerns? Uh, so one thing that's unique about this program is along with equity, we said uh, at the beginning of the program that we're going to apply a climate lens to everything that we do, the processes and outcomes. And, and that comes in different forms. Transportation is the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, like we understand that. So what can we do to reduce that? And uh, one of the best ways to reduce that is moving people away from single occupancy vehicles to other modes of transportation. Therefore, that's where the light rail tra transit comes in, where we're able to move trips to the light rail. They don't have to drive anymore if they have that option. But also working with CTRAN and how the bus connections work in Vancouver. There are a lot of uh, bus paths. Uh, 
uh, routes in Vancouver, how do we connect them to the routes on the river so they can get to Portland also. And the other way of moving uh, people away from cars is providing uh, safe uh, facilities for active transportation, people who want to walk and bike. So that, uh, so that is one small portion in reducing that. The other one is um, uh, working with the partners and the states to understand the goals that we have set for our climate and how we can be a part of those goals to, um, to get there. Uh, and also resiliency. We've been having all these uh, uh, fires over the summer as well as like storm events all around the world. So what can we do from the design of the bridge and the, and the entire I-5 uh, corridor to make sure that it can withstand those one-off events that might come in uh, as we come in. And the other one is also looking at um, the stormwater management, uh, the five mile corridor is, uh, the water today is not treated and that is all the rainfall that comes onto the roadway and the bridge goes directly into the water. So we've committed to treating every single uh, drop that all the rainfall that falls into, the, into any point of the facility and treated before it goes back into the Columbia River. You know, a lot of people probably don't think about that, that all the water that goes onto the bridge with the oil, tire debris goes right into the river. More, that's one of the things that we have heard from the tribal governments who um, have, a, have just a immensely long history with the Columbia River and fishing and, and being sustained by um, salmon in the river. So this tire debris issue is tremendously important to them and it's important to us for the, for the sake of the health of the Columbia River. So we are this taking, um, having an enclosed drainage system and treating any storm water before it returns to that river is one of the hidden benefits that this program will bring to this region. Well, I have to ask you about tolls. Now, it sounds like from what you've been saying, tolls are really a done deal. They're, they're going to be necessary. So what about the concern uh, for people who are low income? Will it be consideration, Greg, for people that uh, maybe can't afford some of these tolls? So we are, um, we are working with the transportation commissions in each state who set policy for tolling, and they, they are very much aware of this issue, both in Oregon and Washington, for low-income tolling um, and other exemptions that um, may be put on the table for them. So it's a, it's a very viable conversation that's happening, and we think that we will have an equitable solution. And I think, Shilpa, you were telling me this isn't going to be congestion pricing the way people might think about it. What is it going to include? So this is uh, what we're calling a variable rate tolling, meaning we say know before you go. So you'll know before you head out to the bridge what the toll is going to be. It, it's going to be different during congested periods versus off-peak, middle-of-the-night conditions. But you won't be surprised that you won't have to look go under the bridge and then realize what the toll price is. So that'll help people plan their trips if they really need to be there during the peak hours or is the trip, can the trip be adjusted so they don't have to pay that price, pay a different price. So um, no surprises in there. I have to ask you, Greg, about lanes. And we only have about a minute and a half mm -hmm. left. But during the Columbia River crossing, there were going to be five lanes in each direction. This is going to have far fewer lanes. How many is it going to have and why not as many lanes? So. One of the things that our partners asked us to look at was we know that we have three through lanes in each direction, both north and south of here. So we're, we are going to have three through lanes. Just the same as now? Yeah, the same as now. But we are going to also have 
um, we're studying auxiliary lanes. And those are those lanes in between interchanges where right now you have to dive in and take a chance of someone is gonna let you in, but we are making sure that we are having something that is safe for folks. So this is um, one of the more controversial issues, but we are working through it and we're looking forward to hearing from folks on this issue during that draft supplemental period. Will this save any time for people driving? It will. We, right now, we have over 10 and a half hours of congestion every day. We think when this bridge is uh, completed, we will take that number down to two and a half hours of congestion on any given day. We'll take any improvement for those of us who drive over the bridge. I want to show you the website again. It's interstatebridge.org. If you'd like to check it out, you can leave your feedback there. You can also write info at interstatebridge.org if you want people to answer your questions. You can sign up on the, the calendar part on the website. Um, if you want to sign up for an appointment, you can also do that. There's lots of ways that you can uh, give your feedback. I know a lot of people do have a lot of questions. Shilpa Malam, Greg Johnson, thank you for joining us here on Straight Talk. Come back and keep us up updated, okay? We will. Thank you. Thank we you. appreciate you for watching and listening to our podcast. Remember, you can get our podcast wherever you get podcasts. Search for KGW Straight Talk. We hope you'll join us next week. We find out more about the Albina Vision Trust. We'll see you then for Straight Talk. Have a great week.